Hey everybody, and welcome back to The Discussion Phase, a board gaming podcast where we take a break from playing the games we love to talk about the games we love. And on today's episode, it is just Matt and I. Say hey, Matt. Hey, everybody. All right. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about board games that develop life skills, leveling up your life through board games. And then we're going to be closing today's episode with our last segment of our favorite mechanics with drafting, one of my personal favorites. So stay tuned. And as always, buckle up. Well, I feel like I've just been gone for forever. I miss the podcast. It's not the same when you're not here, Brady. Of course, you got you got important life things going on, travels. It's the summertime. People are going to be out and yeah, doing vacations and camping trips and everything in between. Going to the beach. Yeah, I did catch up on the old episode. Um, we we actually did get in a another play of Oath. Yeah. So real um, quick, but before we talk about your play, what did you think of listening back to our breakdown and discussion of Oath? Um, I think. Um, cause I think a couple of times you, you brought up like whether or not I would like the game. And I think you guys, you guys know me pretty well. It was pretty spot on. I, um, I think I enjoyed the play. I really like, and you mentioned this, the little booklet at the end, um, that you like write the story in. I think if, yeah, I think if Root had that, I would love it. Um, but I, I think for me, Right now, I'm. I would probably lean closer to root, but I did win my first game of both. So I'll be chancellor. You're looking at future chancellor. Yeah. Right here. So that definitely did help your uh, <laughs> impact of whether or not you like the game. And like I said, it it, to, it does it have all those like mechanical things in it that like stuff like Great Western Trail and uh, Terraforming Mars. Some of these games have that just grind your gears. You can talk about mechanics. Uh, another game like Praga, uh, Caput Regni. Um, it may not have those mechanics that you can just dive into and, and love. Uh, it has great mechanics in it, but it, it is an experience type game. Um, and I think that helps my expectations uh, and curbs a little maybe frustrations you may get when maybe things don't go all your ways. Like I'm here to experience this more than just to win it. Um, because like at, at the end of the game, you don't get like a victory point scoring to like, well, I may not have won, but at least scored this many points there's either you win or you don't um but you do have options like you know becoming a citizen for the next game and everything yeah Um, so i am looking forward to seeing how it plays with me being the chancellor and all that so i'll withhold too many judgments until then but i also we went down to the beach with a bunch of my family who um are uh, somewhat into games and we played a lot of uh wingspan which they call fondly birdbath for some reason i don't know why uh i think they just couldn't remember the name of the game and so they just started calling it birdbath so that's like how they refer to it all a the good time. topic is like games that are perfectly named wingspan is a perfect name you know birdbath did kind of stick with me though bird and bath. i i started calling it birdbath while i was there and we played a lot of birdbath yeah because didn't a, mon- a monsoon pretty much yeah come we did in. get hit by like a, a tropical storm so Everybody else was like, oh, bummer, we can't go to the beach. And I'm like, woo, game Sounds time. great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I stretched them a little bit. We played some Concordia, um, some uh, Planet, which is a fun little game that I got. Um, we played some Wavelength, 
Blue Lagoon. We had a lot of a lot of great times down there. Yeah, Blue Lagoon and Babylonia are two games I'm really wanting to play um, more of. Um, the fantastic design, great play interaction. We talk about that all the time. Um, you you just got Blue Lagoon. You didn't get Babylonia. Correct. Right? I like the simplicity of Blue Lagoon better. Yeah, I, I do feel. I do agree. It's a lot more colorful of a game. Um, ba- yeah. I feel like Babylonia maybe has some of those higher. Yeah, Blue Lagoon is a lot more of who can get to that spot first versus Babylonia, I think, has like some more wider scoring and strategy that you can have in it. Um, but yeah, you definitely took opportunities like, hey, we're going on vacation. You're like, man, this is a bummer missing out playing games with the guys. <laughs> you have to be on the beach. Whenever I go to the beach, Brady, I don't know what it is, but the heat in the sun makes me tired. Oh, so I sure, go to yeah. the beach, I take a nap. <laughs> Just give me an umbrella yeah. and let me take a nap. And the nice thing, everybody was kind of taking naps. So I don't know. I I usually don't want to feel like the lazy person, but like everyone was just like, all right, I'm going away for a nap. And so like some of us be playing board games and I feel like we were like tagging each other in and out for naps. Yeah. Um, uh, a game I got in this past weekend that it's a, it's a, it's a pillar, I would say of modern board gaming. Um, it's crazy that I haven't played it before, but I've always really wanted to and had the opportunity to with some other people, uh, was Castles of Burgundy. Yeah, you, I've been wanting to play that one for a long time, too. It looks so drab that I haven't wanted to pick it up, but I really would love to play that one. So who did you play it with? Uh, there were some people. Uh, actually, I met them for the first time at uh, the game night on Saturday. Um, but with Castles of Burgundy, the main uh, thing, and I think, oh, when did this game come out? It's, I feel about, like it's an oldie, maybe like 2000 to 2005, something. Yeah, maybe I was thinking around the 2005. <laughs> Let me pull up real quick. I did have I Castles know. of Tuscany now, though, which I hear is not quite as good. Um, but I... we, we 2011. Also, okay, that's not as old as I was thinking. 2011. Uh, they did do like a 10-year anniversary or whatever it was with it. Um, but it's a game by Stefan Feld, um, which, you know, he's... He's a designer. You say his name, people are just lining up ready to play. Uh, but the main premise of how the game works, I don't know if you're familiar with it, Brady, but it, playing this game, it's the mechanics are really good in it, and I could see the inspiration that other games took from some of these mechanics is kind of being, when you talk about those pillar games that other games um, kind of built upon, uh, the main concept is you have this player mat in front of you uh, with a bunch of hexes, and your goal is going to be trying to fill these up uh, for points, um, how you fill them up, the order in which you fill them up, um, you're going to score differently. But you have you essentially have some pastures, you have some places for castles, some places for village buildings, um, some places for rivers for boats to go on, some mines. Um, but the main mechanic, how you get these tiles to place on your board, is that every turn, and there's like five turns, five or six turns per round, five rounds, um, you roll two dice. And what you can do with these dice is either you could use the dice to draft a tile, a hex from a communal board. Um, so you, there is six spaces on this main board. Each space has different type of hexes. Uh, so you can draft a tile based on the dice you played, or you could play a tile onto your board because all the tile hexes on your board that are empty has to go to a corresponding number. So you're trying to match the numbers um, to draft certain tiles, but then you can only place the tiles if it matches the number and the location type on your board. So there's really good tension of um, trying to set yourself up for opportunities, um, drafting based on dice, some dice manipulation is in there as well. Um, 
it's a good game. It's a solid. I I wouldn't say no. I don't want to play it. I wouldn't say that I would be itching to play it uh, all the time. Or man, can we give you right? Really got any castles of Burgundy? Would, I'm assuming it was somebody else's copy. Yeah, it was someone else. It was someone else's copy. I I don't feel like I need to own it. Oh really? Okay. I don't feel like I need to own it. That's but a it's a game that you want to play. Um, I'd recommend playing it, trying it out. Um, but it's not a game that I feel like I need to own because compared to you know plenty of other games that we have. But it was a good experience, and you could definitely tell when you're playing it, even though it's 10 years old now, which is crazy to think from 2011, it's it's a very mechanically sound game that makes a lot of sense for why so many people love it. And, you know, for some people, this is like, and the people that I play with, that's like their favorite game. Um, yep. And they completely go back, is go it back on and like, forth to it. Like one of my favorite games, and we also got another couple plays into this, is Concordia. Is it on the same weight as Concordia, would you say? I would say maybe just a smidge higher. Um, smidge higher. Yeah, because the whole thing about when you place tiles on your board to fill up these hexes, um, every there's a lot of like like I mentioned, there's places where you can put buildings. There's like ten or eleven different buildings. Every building has an asymmetric. Well, I say asymmetric, but a unique ability. So if you place this building type, you get this little bonus. Um, if you okay. complete these in a certain order, you can get a majority bonus. There's a lot of different abstract, different strategy ways for scoring points and how you build, like how you build your, how and when you build your little kingdom of Burgundy, um, and what buildings you put in it and what type of farm animals you put in it. There's like a lot of different strategies and a lot of different options. Yeah, um, so I would fun. say it's, it, you, someone needs, someone in the game group needs to, uh, get a copy right of it. Now so it's I a, pick John, John. John. If you're listening John is to this, actually, I think John has played it. And I think, right I think uh, he enjoyed it. But for whatever reason, it's going for it's like seventy five bucks on Amazon. Um, I don't know if that's just maybe I think they it's, had a reprint of it not that long ago. And yeah, for like the anniversary, maybe maybe the reprint is cheaper. Maybe it's the older version that's more expensive. Um, but but you it, and I also had went a little head to head match in Marco Polo too. Yeah, which, that was the first time we ever played it two players. Yeah, and it was still good. A very tight game. I had the chance, first time I've ever picked the overpowered uh, travel superpower. And uh, it didn't I out traveled you. Yeah, you out traveled me. And so maybe I'm rethinking the overpoweredness of it. Yep. I still think it's pretty good. It's good. There, it's, there are very clearly, there are abilities in Marco Polo that are better than others. Yeah. Um, I think the ability to wear whenever you pass over a because when you travel, the tents, the yeah, tents, you get like terrible. a coin or something. That is atrocious compared to you just yeah. never pay camels or coins yeah, yeah. Uh, for traveling. Um, but yeah, the attention was still good because... Um, you had a couple of spots. Um, the main board, like the main section of the board where you're traveling, even in a four-player game, it's like you never lose. You can go anywhere you want, right? You're never cutting anyone off. The only time you may lose out is like the first person get their bonus. So that really doesn't change. And then what they do in a two-player game is then they fill in some of the dice worker placement spots with some of the the dummy dice from a color that isn't being used to add to some of that tightness to it. Um, and I still felt like, you know, some of those games when you play two players, oh, there's so many options. It doesn't feel like there's tension. I was still constantly feeling like, do I need to do this action first or this one because of what it's Brady doing? It is actually going to be as efficient for me later. So I still were having all those thoughts. I felt like I was playing a, a legit game of Marco Polo. I yeah. didn't feel like it, it left out anything. So I would say, yeah, if you're looking for a two-player heavier Euro game, Marco Polo would definitely be a recommend. 
uh, for that. And in other news, big news, I got, it doesn't quite feel as special now since we've been playing some of the digital stuff, but I took home a real world game of Root. Your with second. The, with the Eerie. Your first yeah. real world game ever, right? You won a digital game. Oh yeah, is it my first real world game? I guess it is, yeah. We're living in the real world. So we're very proud. We got a five player game of Root in uh, Sunday. Yeah. You know, that was one thing you guys said and i don't even know what the context was but you said when you're reviewing oath that the eerie remembers which is my saying because i can be so bitter and hateful and yeah. rude um so you better not cross me and you no. did you tried to cross me and it didn't work well you, I, you clearly you're winning this this time is actually true when we all say we say it a lot mostly in jest just to mess with brady's mind we say brady you're winning we have to go after i was you. winning but it actually came down it's pretty close. A super tight. It's close. Uh, um, also, I think last week, right after we finished recording, um, no, I guess we weren't. That wasn't last week. I was just over at your house. We got a notification for Foundations of Rome. Do you want to tell the people the good news on your Foundations of Rome Kickstarter yeah, yeah. news? Yeah, Foundations of Rome, Oathsworn, um, Campaign Trail, all of the games that I am waiting on. I. Basically, I get a notification and I say, please tell me why you're delayed again. Like, that's basically what it is. And I know I do sympathize with the developers of this. They had no idea what they were getting into launching a game in 2020 or the end of 2019. Uh, for Oathsworn. For some games. Um, yeah, we're but, almost on the two-year mark since you backed Oathsworn. Yeah, we're getting pretty close. Even Foundations of Rome was, was uh, over a year ago, I think. Um, but, uh, and we'll kind of get into this a little bit later, spoiler alert, but the, um, the issue, if you don't know, is with like the supply shortage is not necessarily a shortage of supplies. It's getting the supplies to the United States. Yeah, I think for every hundred shipping crates, and these are the big crates that are coming on these big freighter boats, for every hundred, I mean, it's close to this, for every hundred that are coming into the States to... Uh, only 40 are going back out to like China yeah. and other places. Which is so they're super out there. spiked yeah. the container. So um, they said prices. in this notification that they didn't say how much the shipping crates were base. I'm sure it wasn't cheap. Um, but they said per shipping container, the price has gone up by $20,000. Um, and they said they need at least 20, 21 crates. So we did the math on that. Their shipping cost for Foundations of Rome went up by over $400,000, pushing on half a million dollars and increased shipping costs. Yeah. And so what and these, that, honestly, that sounds like a them problem, not a, not, not a me problem. So but I the, this game, but the <laughs> issues is, is like one, we have, it's, it's easy. Cause there's just so many games coming out all the time. The, the board gaming sphere as a e economy and a business is still extraordinarily tiny compared to other markets and stuff in the, in the world, even in the gaming world, video games or whatnot. Um, and the margins, even though some of these board games, you know, that people talk about price and be more extensive, the margins are board games are still very, very small compared to other type products people are selling. Yeah, they're very physical things. Yeah. It costs a lot of ship to ship and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and so the margins, to, because the thing is, you know, it's not digital, right? Uh, people who are selling consoles like these PlayStations, whatnot, they're probably close to, most of the time they say people, these companies like PlayStation are losing money on the consoles. Because the percentage they make on digital sales of games is astronomical. Yeah. Board gaming is physical. You have to get it in your hand. And there's very low margins because um, if people can't afford it, you're never going to sell anything. And so yeah. there's very low margins. And so to tell uh, someone who's doing this Kickstarter, I wouldn't even imagine that their profits from the campaign would 
would even be close to four or five hundred thousand dollars yeah. in profit. And so the increase of shipping costs is even more than they would have even made in profit to pay their, you know, not only logistics, but their employees to be able to have some capital to go into their next campaign, their next project. All of these games, I know uh, Jamie uh, from Stonemeyer. Um, he does a really good job of being open and transparent about costs of production of like the cost of even housing these games is expensive. And even for a company like as successful as Stonemeyer is, they only have like two or three full-time employees. Yeah. And that's crazy because he has Wingspan and Scythe and Tapestry Some and, big boys uh, there, and yeah. Viticulture, like the like big juggernaut games. And they still only, only have less than five full-time employees. At the last time he had, I remember reading, um, yeah. of that. And, and so, it's crazy because there are, so, and I don't know how this works, but there are some game companies like Oath came in on time, correct? And then like, on- so, it, so it was, so I backed Oath January, 2020. I got it June. So it was four ish months late, okay. um, four months late. Uh, Ankh backed, um, maybe February, March of 2020. And so it was around the same time. And so it's, being shipped and it's on its way going to be here next month. But I think maybe the difference is they, I don't know how it all works, but I'm, I'm assuming that they maybe had contracts in place with shipping yeah. and stuff to where it yeah, kind of the saved them. The only thing of mine that has come in is tiny epic dinosaurs. And that one, I feel it is a smaller game, but I feel like I like hit, you know, back on that game. And then like my doorbell rang and it was like at my doorstep, but probably it, took like two or three really, months. And the thing with those type of games, they already have a lot of the production done yeah. before they even really get into the campaign where something like Osworn or Foundation Realm, they still have a lot of work to do after it um, versus some other smaller projects. You're pretty much ready to go to print. So the so the th- three options that are happening is one, the the companies are having to eat it. Which is just if you, you do that, some of these companies are probably using leverage to try to get these projects started and hoping to make their money on the back end. That's not an option because that will sink a company. Half a million dollars in loss for any board game company could sink them. Yeah. Um, the second option is that they ask their people on Kickstarter because it's mainly a Kickstarter issue um, to increase their shipping cost. And you can't hold people hostage because one, that's not something they negotiated. And you're asking how much did Foundations of Rome make on their Kickstarter? Uh, I think a little over a million dollars. So you're asking that campaign to raise an additional 50% from the people that, like it raised a little over a million dollars. You're asking for another half million just for shipping. That's a little insane, right? And then you can't, maybe you could ask people if they want to voluntarily do that, but you can't demand that for people increasing their pledges by 50%. Some people I think feel like are like ready to get a, like fly to China and go get it themselves. It almost would. And so the other third option is to wait until it comes down and there is no guarantee on when that is. So really the people that are getting games right now, which, you know, I'm starting to get trickle in, I think those were in like a Goldilocks zone of, hey, we had some contracts in because we they had a lock. The issue with Foundations of Rome and Osworn, they didn't know for sure when they were shipping. So they're not going to have some contract for freights or stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. I felt like some of these like Oath, they had a pretty tight schedule in Windows so then maybe they felt comfortable making these contracts. This is all speculation, but my assuming they may be able to make contracts in advance. But, yeah. but so that was a small project, Frosthaven, which had like 40 something thousand backers or it was insane. Maybe not that much. I know, um, which old world had like 45,000 backers, but Isaac Childress said that for their campaign campaign in his most recent, they're needing 150 plus crates at $20,000 a pop. That's $3 million in additional shipping costs. That's a them problem. 
<laughs> that is that's that's insane like no and i think he has frustrated i think everyone has a right to be frustrated designers publishers backers consumers everyone has a right to be upset but we all know it's no one's fault yeah. and these publishers will want to get these games to you because they can't move on to their next project until this is done yeah uh, because and i am i've this happens a lot of time with uh with video games getting you know they'll there'll be video games that kind of get pushed back and pushed back and pushed back but then there'll be some that release early what was the one that, cyberpunk 2077 yeah, cyberpunk, so they were like all right well we're just gonna give it a cd to project and, red the, and it was terrible developers so of the witcher and everything i would i'm always willing to wait longer for yeah. a better game or a better package but or this whatever. issue is they're ready for the games they just can't afford to get it to you yep. uh some of the issues with it and so uh, i don't i haven't i don't know when what the solution is or when these games are going to come in so really i think i think if people were starting a kickstarter now i would say a, a year from now probably the the market would be a lot better but i'm, I'm sure there's a lot of companies right now that are hesitant to even launch their campaign because of this issue uh, and another company that's gotten some hot water because of this stuff is, uh, have you are you familiar with all the stuff that's been going on with Stronghold Games and the Ares Expedition? Is that the Terraforming Mars thing? So it's kind of the um, um, Puerto Rico, I believe is that, or kind of role for the, the galaxy type variant with Terraforming Mars as its theme. Uh, the issue that's gotten them a lot of frustration from backers is that the Kickstarter campaign hasn't fulfilled yet. But yet you can already go and buy the game retail at Target like a week or two ago. Oh, uh, yeah. And so peep, the, the the retail got it months before. And the, the same thing actual, happened with the like Marvel United or something. I, that was surprising yeah. to me. Like, yeah, like months before. And that was that's just yeah. so weird. Um, and so I think one of the frustrations where people got, even though it's not an it's like, hey, you're guaranteed this when you're getting the game. It's kind of the whole purpose of kickstarting it is because you're getting it before other people got it. But the thing is, this was a contract with Target. And it's kind of a rock and a hard place because they had to have known before they re they did the Kickstarter or very shortly into the Kickstarter that they were doing a contract. Because you don't just sell your game at Target. You have to have contracts, negotiations, okay. things way in advance. And so a lot of people believe they knew they were going to be selling the game to target and it would probably hit target before it backed it got to all the backers because why would you necessarily back a game if you could get it sooner and quicker um in target unless maybe you wanted a bunch of upgrades but you could just buy some upgrades and then go and get the game uh beforehand so a lot of people were frustrated because they believe they knowingly knew that retail is going to be getting the game first before you backed on kickstarter right because i mean what if i told you right now brady that hey brady uh, surprise, Oshorn is now available at Walmart. Um, oh, I would be livid. I would be absolutely livid because it's like... After two years, you still haven't gotten your game that you paid a lot. Now, the price differential is an extreme. If you back the base game and shipping, it's probably 50, maybe 55 bucks for Aries. You can get a Target for like 39 bucks. Uh, so maybe 12-ish dollars, somewhere wait, in wait, there. Wait, 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 wait. Sorry. I, so they, they charge more for the Kickstarter? We well, have to pay shipping. The thing is, if I go and buy Target, I don't have to pay for shipping. So I can theoretically get the game for less. Unless now, the so what is different between the retail and the Kickstarter? There's some promo cards, and then there are the player boards. Um, so that probably makes up a little bit of the difference there. Um, but if you're a person that doesn't care about that, I guess, as much, 
But yeah, I was like, what if I told you that this game you backed, you've been excited for, you think, you know what? I was the one who was smart enough to back it in the first. Because that's part yeah, of the pride. Yeah, you put in trust. Yeah, uh, a little bit, of the, little bit of backing Kickstarter is a pride in yourself. You know what? I think this game is going to be good and I'm backing it so I get to experience this first and I get the, I, that's the whole part of it. I want to make this happen. Um, but what if I told you, yeah, Oshorn, you can go buy it at Walmart, but you already spent three, 400 bucks on all this stuff and all the extra stuff. I mean, you're not going to go buy a whole nother copy of Oshorn, right? No. And I can't imagine what, cause what now this is a smaller scale, right? It was, yeah. it was a 40, $50 game. It's a smaller game, but I think what rubbed people the wrong way is the concept. Um, because the whole purpose of being a backer Kickstarter is because you want the project to exist. It just made it seem like, you know what? We're already going to do this yeah. game regardless of Kickstarter. We're with already going to, with or without you, we're going to have this in Target, but we're not going to let you know that. And so they presented it as like, we need you to make this fund. We need you to get us these funds. Because the whole part of Kickstarter is you get your funds up front. You have access yeah. to it, right? It's like a pre-order thing. So you're confident, you know, people yeah. do want this. But yeah. why would you do that when you know you could just wait, save, hold on to your money and just buy the game Early, in retail? Before anybody else. And so, no, it is not the end of the world. And Yes, I know. You know, people can make a bigger deal over it. You know, first world problems. Um, but I can understand a lot of people's frustration um, because it kind of speaks to, I guess, the unspoken integrity of Kickstarter. And I mean, that's how board games come to life nowadays. Is Kickstarter? Yeah. All right. Well, let's slip right on into our uh, main topic, which is games that teach you life skills. And so, I think. Um, like you and I have always been kind of like fascinated with what games can like can teach you. I know. And like you and I have had kind of have the same view on like the college experience. It's like you don't necessarily come out of college learning a lot of book knowledge, but you know how to like manage your time better and and like commit to things, finish things. And so it's like you come out of college and you'll probably forget most of your book knowledge depending on what you go into. Uh, yeah. But like you kind of come out going, okay, well now I, I can better manage my time. Um, I can like I can prove that I can uh, you know start and finish something. And so I think board games can do a lot. Of yeah, because the, the whole thing. concept of college is like yeah, college is gonna warp your mind, change. But that's kind of what it does is like it it teaches you how to learn. It teaches you obviously it depends on what you're doing. Like my background, I'm a it was in, is in the healthcare field, so. If I, what I was learning hands-on is like I'm still using today, but there is, like you said, a lot of gen ed type classes, but it, it helps change your perspective on things and how you interact yeah. with things. And we talk, yeah, like you said, all the time, I love board games for the shared experience and the challenge that the game, I like, I don't like, I think this is a good perspective having, I don't like it when a game comes to me. I feel the most reward if I have to come to the game as kind of a challenge and an experience and explore it. Um, and a lot of those are um, kind of expanding the way you conceptualize things and abstract reasoning and thought and spatial visualization. Um, and and for some people, that can be the break. That, I think that's a good point. Like where you go from like wingspan to the next level of game is kind of like an abstract conception of how mechanics and inner workings of games go on. Um, and so it, it depends whether or not you, you enjoy that. Not a right answer or a wrong answer. It's just whether or not you enjoy it. I think you and I both really enjoy that for yeah. games. So I'm really curious to see what this list is. Yeah. I have a very wide array. I didn't pick these games based on accessibility necessarily. Some of these games are really accessible. Some of them may not be. Yeah. But as as far as the teaching aspect. I almost kind of picked uh, like a, a skill or like an idea and then picked like a couple of games that kind of teach you that skill or idea. So... 
So I picked, yeah, I have five games teaching five different skills. Okay. That's what I have on my list. Well, why don't you hit us with your first one? All right. Let's pull, let me pull up my list here. Okay. Um, these are no particular order because all skills are important, right? Yeah. Um, so this is a skill that teaches you how to live in uncomfortable unknowns. Because things are okay. gonna things yeah, are gonna happen in your just... life that are unknown, that are uncomfortable, and you're just like you I just have gotta no. Be along for the ride. You have to go with it, and you have to just survive it. Um, in a game that just encapsulates that feeling of just like I have no control about what's going on around me, but I have to keep my head above water is Spyfall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so how Spyfall works? Everyone is given a location card. Let's just say the library, but one person is given a card that just says Spy. And how this game works is that everyone takes turn acting each other kind of, and in this, how it is in a lot of like um, these type of games is you're asking someone knowledge that they would know if they knew your card, but not so specific because the spy, yeah, if they yeah. guess where you're at, they win. So you don't want to like, yeah, hey, Brady. So there's a fine line you're riding where you don't there, want to give away Yeah, so if we're at the library and that's our cards, I wouldn't go, hey, Brady, do you see books? Because then the spy could say, hey, you're at the library. But say, Brady, what kind of noises do you hear around you? And I would say... Nothing. Nothing. And so the person with <laughs> the spy whispers. is like, there's so much pressure because what do you do when someone asks you, what do you see? And you have no idea. Yeah. So much, everyone's you, staring at you. And if you mess up, everyone knows that you're the spy. And especially this game is really fun to play with people. Like it's a party game, right? They're not into gaming, but that feeling of tension that just hits them, yeah. uh, the panic. And that, I think, I mean, that translates. And I also, I think of um, Detective Club kind of runs along the same lines yeah. where you kind of, uh, and it, it is like this in the business world where you kind of had this sense of you have to fake it till you make it. And yeah. it's like you you have to be able to just come up with stuff on the fly um, and, and say it with confidence because you might say something. Yeah. And as, if you say it confidently, that might be enough in some of these games to be like, okay, yeah. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way yeah. of putting it. Yeah, thinking yeah. fast and being confident. Yeah. Um, and it's not... That could I be in a business class. There's a sure. lot of games that promote lying. I didn't pick lying because I don't believe it's a beneficial life skill <laughs> necessarily. Oh, sure. uh, but, you know, technically you would, you're lying when you're saying these answers or whatnot, not necessarily. But um, I think it's a it's a... It's a great like real world practice when you play this game with people. So that's my first one is Spyfall for Uncomfortable Unknowns. Yeah, I've got, so this is the first one. My wife will really appreciate this. Definitely something I consistently need to work on. And that is communication skills. And I have on here Captain Sonar. And so... (laughs) That's my next one, Brady. Well, there you go. I have Captain Sonar for teamwork and communication under pressure. And especially there's like one uh, job, I think it's like the radio operator where you have to, you, it's it's really hard because you have to listen to the other team as they're kind of shouting out their directions and you ha- kind of have to be um, like working with your own team and that sort of like um, uh, multitasking that you have to do is very practical and it's something I definitely need to work on. Yeah. I'm sorry, Tara. That I think yeah, playing the radio opera the radio operator is the one who's drawing where they think the other team is going. Yes. So they're that's, listening to the other team and writing it down. And then they have to but then they have to like look over, you know, occasionally look over at the captain or whatever and say, Hey, I think they're here or we need to launch a, a you know, a nuke or whatever over here. Um, and so they're, you know, they're doing a lot of different things. And I think that person in particular is probably the hardest person 
but then like the game as a whole where you're you know all like the captain is sitting in the middle and they're talking to their like engineer and their radio operator and they're kind of doing all this crazy yeah. stuff that's my favorite if i'm not don't want to worry about anything my favorite position to play is the one where i'm listening and tracking and i know where they can't go it's the mind game uh, but so many times I played this game with people who weren't as familiar with it or weren't as comfortable. And I took on that leader role and I was like, this is what you need to do. I explained, hey, this is your role. This is your role. This is your role. And, you know, obviously you, I can't play all four positions with other people there. So I literally have to look at someone, you know what, like, and usually I'll put someone there on the, on the remote operator. They're listening. I was like, you know what, I'm going to trust you with what you're doing. If you make a mistake, if you mess up, it's okay. But oh, I'm going to trust you, right? Don't feel pressure. So I'm usually, you know, if you're playing, you're playing the captain, you're making the decisions if you're the most experienced, but then you have your engineer that you're communicating with. And when you fill up your little abilities to do a torpedo, and I look, oh, and I just love the feeling because it really does simulate like active teamwork and communication under pressure. And I look over to, to the, at the end of the line, and I say radio operator. Operator, like, where is it? Where yeah. <laughs> is it? And they said, I don't know. I was like, it's okay. Just tell me where you think it is, and we're going yeah. for it. And it's, it, I was just thinking about that right now. It like brings joy, like that yeah. feeling of like, you know what? Hey, I'm putting my hands, I'm putting our trust in your hands, and let's just go with it. Yeah, and, and it's I think, like you give this to like an executive team or like a group of like ROTC kids, and like that kind of that kind of stuff would really help them in their like day to day operations with whatever yeah doing. and the thing is like you have to tune out distractions like yeah especially as a radio operator for sure yeah and you you have to be able to communicate but don't get that mixed up with water because what's easy to get mixed up is because everyone's saying left right north south east west north south and so you can get those interchanged and mix yep. up so easily um but i think it's fantastic i do think it's a game better played three versus three uh because the first mate uh role is super super simple it's literally filling in the movements I think um, the first mate and captain role are better played by one person because you move, you fill in a spot, you move, fill in a spot. Um, what are yeah. your, do you have thoughts on that or not? Uh, you know yeah, what I'm talking about? Yeah, there's like one, you're talking about the one, I can't remember what it is. But. So the engineer is the one who's crossing out the lines and everything. The first mate is every time you move your submarine, you get to fill in one little check on the meter until you fill it up and you yeah, activate, yeah, yeah. Yeah. activate so your like, abilities. Yeah, the engineer could like in a three player game or a three versus three could do both of those jobs, right? Yeah. Usually, it's usually like, it's recommended for the, the captain because the engineer is really thinking. So yeah, the, the communication between the engineer and the captain is great. It's like, captain, I need you to go North so I can clear yeah, out yeah. this section. Like we had stop everything, go North. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I can't go North. There's an Island. Can I go left? And then can I go North? Yes, captain, yeah. you can. Yeah. And then the whole time the radio operator is like, I know where they are. I know where they are. Charge up your torpedo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it I wish we, we need to get this game played more. Um, yeah, it takes when like you get specifically eight, and so or or six, six to eight. Yeah, uh, and so it can be kind of hard to get. Yeah, the but table. it is it is a game I'll always recommend. I always it's one of my favorite party games. I think. Well, I don't know if you call it a party game, but you can, it plays pretty quick. It's a fun game. It's fun, a great lively fun game. lively game. Yep. All right, what do you got next? Since I stole yours, um, I had some other ones I'm going to pull back from here, but my next one is negotiating. Um. There's there's a saying you don't get what you deserve you get what you negotiate yeah right mm -hmm. the show business life whatever um, you don't necessarily get what you deserve you you get what you negotiate um, and so you're gonna nego need to negotiate now some people take this to the extreme you hear these people that negotiate they go to McDonald's and they try to get their sandwich for five cents cheaper just because yeah. for the principle but of I'm it I'm a senior yeah I'm get that senior <laughs> discount. 
but negotiating is something you're going to be doing in every aspect of your life. Um, and even if you're not the one, or maybe you'll, you're in a, you're an employee and you need to be negotiating something at your job or you're an employer and you need to know how to negotiate with someone else. Yeah. I think it's funny. I am a constant user of like Facebook marketplace and Craigslist and things like that. Oh yeah. I actually just sold Buying and selling a, eBay. a mattress on that. And it's always really funny to me because I always build in like, you know, depending on what the price is like 50 to a hundred dollars. Cause I, you just know people are going to ask you for, for less. cheaper. Yeah. Just for the, like it's for the principle of it. But there, occasionally there will be people who text me or message me on whatever and, and ask me, is the price negotiable? And I will say, no, like it's not negotiable. And it's so funny because then they bring you it's back always negotiable. Like, why are you asking me? Why do you of say no then? Of course it's negotiable. Because I tell them, like, if they're asking the question. They've already just, lost. Yeah, they've already lost. I'm and just here say is, no. and that is that, And that is the game, right? Yeah. It is a game. Negotiation is a game. There's books written about it. There's webinars. There's seminars, like the art of negotiation. And you put a bunch of one on here, one that just jumped out to my mind because of the freedom the game allows you to be creative in your negotiations. I thought about sidereal confluence. Um, I didn't think that maybe fit the bill as much because of the type of game it is, even though I enjoy it. But Chinatown, yeah, uh, yeah. I put on here because the main concept is that you're trying to – Every maybe you can maybe you can explain a little bit better more detail because you actually own the game so maybe you explain the concept of the game a little bit yeah better. so the only thing is you you are drafting um, these locations on a board and these uh, like business tiles on the board and really the goal of the game is to get a um, network right yeah a network of your businesses all in one place and that gives you more money and so what you're doing is if I have you know, four businesses on block A, but then Matthew has the lot right beside me. Um, that's the one I need. And so I've got to go over to him and, and yeah, because that. this, the, the city map, all these lots are a different number. And so yeah. they correlate with different tiles. And so you're going to be negotiating. You know what? If I give you this and you give me that, we can both complete this, or maybe I give you a little bit better deal in this, uh, because maybe we can do something in future rounds because you won't get anything. You can't win the game unless you negotiate and negotiate efficiently yeah. um, or someone just does a poor trade and you benefit from it. But you have to negotiate to win because very rarely are you going to just draft the exact tile that you need. Um, and it allows for creativity because I think you can add in money with your because it's at the end of the game who has the most money. Uh, wins, yeah. but when you have your business together, they produce money. So sometimes you mean, you know what? I will pay you a hundred dollars. I don't know the game economy off the top of my head, but let's just say I'm going to pay you a hundred dollars. Um, and this tile, if you give me this, those two tiles that I need to complete this. Yeah, and like anything's on the table. Anything's on the yeah. table. I love that. I and and I think you can make future promises, but they're not binding. Correct. Yeah. Um, and I've mentioned this before. I hate games that have binding negotiations because yeah. it just takes out that tension. Yeah. Of like. You know what? Oh, if trust. you if you have the gall to go back and run me over on a, on a negotiated trade or deal, yeah. it's going to hurt you at the table because no one else is going to trust you. And I love that tension. Mm -hmm. Or yeah. maybe I should do it. But essentially, you know what? I will pay you actually game points, victory points, essentially with money for that tile because I think I can. That tile will produce even more money for me later on. So it's a great value acquisition of like, you know what? I'm going to be willing to give up this because I think the greater outcome of that negotiation will be greater. Um, yeah. And it allows for like longer term, like thinking you can just play in the moment. Hey, these are the tiles. I wanted to build it. Or you can start trading money and favors for longer term game. Yeah. So I think it's a great example of negotiating game. It's fun. It plays up to five, five, yeah, five Chinatown. And it's like, it's like, 
Like if someone ever comes to me and is like, oh, I love Monopoly. I'm like, here. Chinatown is a good next step. That is better in just every way. Um, so my game for dip- or for negotiation spoiler, is diplomacy. And I've chosen some because I've heard of like groups, um, either they're in a, like a classroom setting or at like a convention setting where there's a lot of people um, where they do this like massive uh, game of diplomacy. And so in diplomacy, everyone plays as like a country. And I think post-World War One. Well, they do that in some high schools. They have like a mock world council type thing. Where yeah, it's yeah. Like a and club. it is like that. And so yeah. you, like if I, I would be like the leader of um, Italy or something. And so I would have seven uh, basically like diplomats. And so like this person is my diplomat to Russia and this person is my diplomat to England. And so they only talk to England and they go over, talk to the, the English di- diplomat and then they come report back to me and you know tell me okay this is what england is thinking this is this is and that my other guy's saying this is what russia is thinking and we've got to come up with plans i'm like okay well you go back to russia and tell them they've got our support for whatever um and i i love that i would have loved if a history professor of mine or whatever made us do something like that that would have been amazing and i think that would be such an awesome way to play the game um, the game's really long in general, and you'd probably have to do something like that over like a series of of weeks or something with breaks in between. But um, yeah, that would be incredible. And just the teamwork aspect, the negotiating aspect of it um, would is definitely something that like all kinds of like teams or schools or classrooms or whatever could really use when it comes to. Yeah, I've never played Diplomacy. Do you, yeah. do you still have a copy of it? I didn't. I sold it, but there is a copy of it that is like insanely cheap. It's usually like around fifteen dollars. Um, and I had played it a couple of times. Each time I played it, it lasted about um, like eight uh, to ten hours or something like that. It's really long. But and the yeah. the thing is, and it's uh, the Game of Thrones board game is like a very light version of it. But in between each like round of the game, the game gives you like 15 to 30 minutes where you can just go anywhere and talk to people in rooms. And so you, like if I, if we're playing the game, we get to the end of the round and I'm like, Hey, you know, the Italy player, can I go talk to you like in the upstairs room or whatever? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we talk and I'm like, okay, I need you to do this. But then you go talk to the Russian player and you're like, okay, well I just told the Italy player that I'm going to back him, but I'm actually going to back you. And so but then you like that guy doesn't know if you're lying to them. And then everyone just writes down their orders and you read them all at the same time. And so there's this big moment where you're out or you're all looking at the board and just hoping and praying that all the people who promised you things are going to hold that promise. And it all like, there is no going back, you know, like in game of Thrones, if I'm about to attack somebody or if I'm about to attack you, you can mm-hmm. say, no, 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 Brady, don't do that because of this and whatever. And that can happen right then in, in diplomacy. None of that. It is just as soon as you write that on the board, that's how it's going to be. That's going and, with it. And it is, I can definitely see why it like breaks relationships and all that, but it is a lot of fun. Very good. All right. My next one here is um, in the world of, because whether you like it or not, depending on your philosophy or beliefs, um, you need money to live, and money rules the world. Um, it's 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 a it's a physical representation of intangible value, um, time, um, perceived value, 
Um, there's a lot of very abstract ways of conceptualizing money more than something that just trades hand. It yep. associates value and resources and so many things. Um, and so what are some good games that can teach you how businesses work and interact in the value of the economy, um, especially with stocks and exchanges? Um, and a game that I absolutely love, and you probably know exactly what I'm about to say, because you probably, do you have it on your list too? Maybe. What is it? City of the Big Shoulders. I do have it on my list. Are we uh, are we on the same wave today? We did not make these lists um There's uh, a lot together. of financial games out there, but this one is it, the be- it is the most like comprehensive financial game. We're like real world financial. Yeah, because um, the big thing about this game that just stands it apart and then makes me love it. Yeah, it's got worker placement in it and all that kind of stuff is that you have your own historic company in front of you, um, um, whether it's, um, I'm trying to think of some of the businesses on there. There's a, um, like Oscar Mayer, Spalding. Yeah, Spalding. Uh, there's a there's a shoe company. And what's really crazy, I think I mentioned this before, I had a patient I was seeing one time who, who was telling me about some shoes they had. I don't know why, uh, but it was the same name of this company. It still exists today. But you have your company. You start with a set number of shares, um, uh, some money, value. You get a choice of like how much Every company has some as a hundred percent of it, and it's broken into ten and twenty percent shares. Um, but the thing is, there are phases in the game where anyone, including you, can interact and buy other people's company, and it's a great flow of the money that your company has is not yours. Yeah, that's the key difference, and I think that is what just. Um, and I, you mentioned last week or something where uh, where I don't necessarily normally like read. Um, the rules are like, look at videos. This is one I just went into blind. And when you told me that like that, like that your, your company's money and your other company's money is not your money. I was just like mind blown. And I was like, I love this. Like it teaches you. Yeah. Like about like managing a business versus your own. Cause it's wealth. about what you personally own percentage wise in the company. Yeah how much of that you could possibly have access to because you could theoretically have because it's whoever owns the most personal stock of a company is who gets to make the decisions for it so you could theoretically lose the decision making ability of your company but still be benefiting from oh, it absolutely. and invested at and the that's same a, time and that could be a good move like someone has else won the game your, without yeah. actually owning a comp like controlling it i say owning but controlling a company yeah at the end of the game and they've actually won it and that teaches you, it teaches you so much about like stocks in general. And that's, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I did take economics in high school and I just, I think we both not, love stocks, market and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, And like just managing assets and that sort of thing. And like, this was something that was just like woefully undertaught. And I would say the majority of the American education Public, system. Yeah. High schools, high schools yeah. don't, I, well, I didn't take, I had an opportunity. I was taking other classes, but I didn't take a specific, I took a finance type class, but I didn't take an actual economics type class. I believe there may have been one, but I didn't take it. But yeah, I hear so many people t- say like, I just don't understand how stocks work. Yeah, I don't understand so what that. is the CEO? Do they actually own the company? And being able to conceptualize, because this is real world concepts, they may be making it a little more simplified for board game, but the whole fact that you may own a company, but don't actually run it, or you may run a company, but may not be the sh- big shareholder, 
is right out of real world and how these big companies, these Disney's, these Tesla's, these Amazon's, like Jeff Bezos, he no longer runs the company. Yeah, he's he's still a chairman or whatever. But he's a chairman that still owns it. And so this real world application. And I think like when it comes to a lot of these like super wealthy Americans like like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, a lot of people when they go, oh, like he's worth you know, $150 billion. A lot His of people, assets are yeah, worth. That, so a lot of people go, oh, he's got $150 million nope. in the bank. And it's like, no, he's got $150 million in companies and, and we know real and that, estate. That and could go up that or drop at the, at the, at the yeah. drop of a hat. And when you feel Elon, that. like sends out a dumb tweet or something. And he makes a billion or loses yeah. a billion. <laughs> or um, more. And that's what, it may not be on that extreme of a level, but that can, it can be what happens because if you don't, operate the company efficiently and you're not able to pay out because you want to operate it efficiently enough to pay out a dividend, which means the business is prosperous. It's going up in value, which means when it goes up in value on this little track, each individual stock is more. So that's how you get in-game scoring with money is that you buy these stocks early, hoping they'll be a lot worth a lot more at the end of the game. Yeah, but and it's very real work because like, uh, you know, Disney dropped their dividend um, through COVID or whatever. And, uh, and they're, their stock dropped. And so it's like, and they are hope I'm invested in Disney. I hope they uh, <laughs> reinstate their dividend. But it, I mean, it's very true. Like if a company is not doing well, they might um, cut their dividend or cut it off completely yeah. and that sort of thing. And that can drastically affect the and price when of the people company. are And when people are buying more of a company, the value goes up. And when people are selling more of a company, the value goes down. So a strategy can be something, you know what? I don't like the way this, uh, this player is running this company. I'm going to dump these stocks, take my cash and invest it into another person's yeah, company. Exactly. But that pushes the value down. But now those stocks are available for cheaper for someone else to buy up real juicy, take over the company and try to pump up its value. It's fantastic. Yeah, it is, I would say it's the best board game implementation that I've played. At least. Now, people love these 18xx. Maybe it gets more into it with these train games. But if you like the concept of stocks, finance and the abstract difference between owning assets and owning value, um, it's fantastic. Yeah, I've gone kind of back and forth on whether or not I want to try an AGNXX game. I honestly think I don't get into after the after looking at them. I think I I think the that City on the Big Shoulders is like a perfect blend of a worker placement game and those AGNXX games. And yeah. I think I would play those and go, you know, what I'm fine with. City on the Big Shoulders, even if it's like a watered-down 18XX game. Yeah, and even beyond that, you have options of how you want to level up the engine of that company. Do you want to buy, invest in workers? Because now, now your workers cost you money. Do you make yeah. enough money to pay well, for your workers? That, I remember the first time when we realized, like, oh, like, once you automate the company so much, you start pushing these workers um, out of business. Out, and then the cost of acquiring new workers goes down, and we're sitting there like, oh, this my gosh, like... <laughs> Where, you know, it's robots fantastic. are taking over jobs and now nobody can get jobs. And they're and, willing to work for pennies. Yeah, exactly. And that, it just made so much sense in the world. I was like, just every time I discovered something like that in the game, I was just like smiling. Now, this is a game, I believe, that does need a second, not necessarily a full edition, but a second printing run of it. I know. The and I've been waiting is, for it for a well, long time. Well, they were, time. they announced it back in 2019. I know. Um, and I follow the guy, I can't remember what his name is, but I follow him on Kickstarter yeah. just waiting for it to drop. Because the rule book is atrocious. They, they, they officially released a second edition rule book on Board Game Geek of uh, that you have to have to play. Yeah. Like the first rule book is, it is atrocious. There is some like weird way they do some symbology on the board. And I think 
The only other thing, yeah, the I think, difference between like the managers and the other people, the color shade is, is so close terrible. to the you meeples. You can't tell what they are. Yeah, because there's there's you can get managers or different type of or advertise advertisers, but their color shade is is the meeples are easy to distinguish, but the color on the board, yeah, is very it's, very close and so easy bad. to overlook and mess up. And also too, I think they could rework how that sales market. Oh, it's so fantastic because yeah. the, the the market thing is is very weak. I love. Um, Which part of the market? The, the getting the resources at the top or on the, the side when you're s- fulfilling demand? The the little resources at the top. I just think hey, that is. Like I think just that the could most be most plugged in thing. Maybe we're not playing it as strategically. I mean, yeah. we haven't well, played here, this game a I'll, lot. I'll jump right into our next one. So mine is supply and demand, which is um, is somewhat similar and, and tied to the finances. Um, but the game that I have on there. Um, actually, I have two, but the first one I thought of is Power Grid, mm-hmm. and their market is is in my mind so much better. Like it is a core part of the game, um, and the reason why it teaches you supply and demand is because like um, in in Power Grid, you're trying to power up different cities, but you can do that through coal, oil, recycling, and like uranium or something. But if if everyone is powering their cities through coal, then coal gets significantly more expensive and. Um, they refresh at a certain rate, but if everyone is just taking, taking, taking coal, then it doesn't refresh as much and the price spikes and it could be unavailable. You know what? Whenever I think of power grid, I always forget that mechanic. Yeah, it's and amazing. It is great. The market is it's probably very dy- the di- best part of it. It's the a game. dynamic market that you influence. And it kind of has that a little bit in Oath where like those factions, how much coins you can trade is dependent on yeah, how much people bit. are interacting. Yeah. And that is, I think you actually mentioned too when you play, he's like, wow, that's a really cool way of doing the economy of the cards. Yeah. But, but, uh, but power grid has a little bit type of thing. Yeah. With that and as supply well. and demand is just something that a lot of like, especially in America pre COVID, we don't really think about like, um, we're very, very thankful for this. Uh, but like I go to Walmart and all the stock, all of the, all the shelves are just full of food and all that stuff. Like I have never, you know, now, gone during to the heights of COVID, I there were some times you go in the grocery yeah, store, yeah. And they're so, out of chicken, they're out of milk, they're out of ramen, and what yeah. else were they all? Well, and I, so I think for the first time in probably most Americans' lives, they are learning what supply and demand is. Like the fact that you, how long you've been trying to get a PS4 right now? I have been cash in hand, ready to. <laughs> hand over say my liege and hand you my my money for since august so 10 yeah. months now yeah and the price of them on ebay is you know like was over like a thousand dollars at one point and that is supply and demand and well that's a little that's scalping manipulation that's not true supply well, and well but there's yeah there's no like there's they purposely, no supply so they can yeah they the scalpers they purposely created a shortage because they weren't like buying one and then wanting to sell it people were using bots to buy dozens and and hundreds of playstations at a time and they were creating a false like there is a lot of demand i'm not denying that but like they were creating a shortage so they could control the price on the demand yeah but even but, I, but even with like the the uh side you know, container crates and all oh that yeah that's stuff, perfect like, that is yeah twenty thousand like, dollars know, on top yeah exactly and so that that's supply and demand supply and demand is just such a huge part of our world that i feel like americans don't really think it, about that much because we kind of yeah i didn't pick one of these in the topics so and we may like I probably mentioned this is politics. It's another one of those things where people are like, you know what? I just don't care about it. I I want to ignore it, which is perfectly fine and right. But politics, whether on a 
local county level or state or federal level affects literally every part of your life. Yeah, the yeah. gas you put in your tank is affected by politics in the same way with supply and demand. It affects everything you do. Yeah. And the other one I had on here that I played recently, I don't think you've played it, is Raccoon Tycoon. It has a great market okay. in it. Um, is this one of those games you got in your bundles from the Dice Tower Cruise? Uh, no, this is one that my buddy has from Knoxville. We played it uh, usually when we go down there. And it has um, a, a supply and demand thing that moves up and down. And so you kind of, you know, you want to you want to sell all your goods when the price is high and try to buy more when they're good. And it, that's a great market. Um, so I really wish that we could just like, like copy and paste one of those or cut and paste one of those market systems into City on the Big Shoulders. I think that yeah. would make it I so much I think Brass better. Birmingham has that a little bit too with uh, the supply and demand of its like coal market yeah, and it's stuff. A as you fill it up, or as it's, like when it's super empty, when the coal market is empty, it's worth more when you sell it. Yeah. And then when it's super full, you know, it's, it's cheaper to buy. I love games that have dynamic little systems that were like, how we push and pull makes the effect on the game. Yeah. Um, my last one here is based on operation, running a business, and advertising. I think this game is absolutely ingenious. Um, we need to get it back to the table, and this is Food Chain Magnet, um, Magnate okay. by Splatter. I didn't think about this one. Yeah, I in my mind, I feel like we played this at like five. It was a learning game. Its, yeah, uh, the, our efficiency. And the strategy, and that's part of the reason I'm excited to get back to the game, is like, there's so much more of that game we haven't even cracked, not as content, but like strategy and how things, the gears turn. Yeah. Um, because the general premise is this, everyone starts with a hand of cards, um, but you build every round, you imagine you have a tableau, but at the end of each round, you pick all those cards up, and then you get to recreate that tableau with those cards, maybe a different range in each round. Yeah. And that is essentially what you're doing with... You're like structuring your business. You're structuring yeah. your business is what it's called. Which there, I mean, there are like literally um, like degrees in this. Of yeah. Like structuring So how businesses. it works, you have your CEO. Uh, your CEO can have um, two or three people under them. Um, so if you get a manager or whatever. Yeah. So, but if you hire a manager and put that underneath the CEO, now you open up two additional slots. Yeah, um, yeah. but you got to be careful because of the cost for stuff. And so you're literally structuring from the head CEO to managers, to advertising, um, to, um, baristas, to waitresses, to marketing trainees. I mean, you're literally structuring, yeah. uh, your company, not only based on, the abilities, do I want to produce food? Well, you know what? I need to put my food truck in here. Do I want to focus on training? Um, so not only are you structuring it to what abilities, but like you have to mentally think about, okay, this person can only work under this person. This person works under this person, but this person only has so many space for yeah. these people. So I can't and have a ton of employees if I don't have enough managers, but then that takes up extra space. And it's all just a brilliant way of, of gaming a business yeah and like in real life people get paid small fortunes to, to come into a company and restructure, and restructure it. it yeah it's like something that's not doing well they come in maybe they trade out a ceo or whatever they just like restructure put more managers here or there and um yeah i mean that is an invaluable skill and you in like do this modern business every world. round of the game it's yeah. not like a lot of tableau or engine builders where you're constantly just adding to it and hope you did things right you get to physically recreate your entire engine Every single round, which can be very complex or heavy, or it just gets you super excited like it does for me. But on top of that, it all has advertising on the main board 
the main mechanic is you have to create a demand. So let's say I, my company's really good at producing fries and burgers. Well, you know what? No one's going to want to buy my fries or burgers if they don't know it exists. And so there's an area control game going on on the, like the main board of yeah, me, marketing. Pu- <laughs> me pushing out my my marketing, whether that's mail outs or banners or overhead um, airplanes with the banners on them or with the radio. Um, and I create demand in these houses, and then I have to make sure that these people can get to my business efficiently to buy my resources. And then it's all about you know what yeah. if I build a if I build this one space closer i'm cutting off yeah i'm cutting off literally because this whole thing if people the people will go to who has the cheaper price and is closer which yeah. is real life and so i'm all constantly trying to get closer and cheaper to more people than you and also telling them what they want to buy because that's yeah. that's business and this like is the, why people pay like millions of dollars yeah. to have that and the sport or the super bowl it's great mechanics in the game but when you explain it like that it makes sense like hey you got it. That's why advertising is there. You got to tell people they want that new three thousand dollar refrigerator that can sing to them. You have to tell them they need that and they can't live without it. Yeah. And then they'll come and buy it. And I think it is just an ingenious design that just throws me into this real world feel in board game form. Okay. Um, and I think it it can teach you skills of like, okay, this is how things in the real world work. Now, obviously. We're not saying play a video game and then go start a business <laughs> next week. Board game. Yeah. So what did I say? It's a video game. Yeah, sorry. I've been playing a lot of The Witcher 3. It's fantastic. Yeah. I've been prepping Brady for Witcher Old World. Yeah, you got to get in those reps, man. I am. Gotta and learn so how to do those little signs. I got to get my signs. I got to get my potions. <laughs> I got to know how to beat the monsters. Um, but yeah, you're not, you're not going to um, play a, a splatter and then go start a business and necessarily be successful. There's other things. But when you think about like with um, Jacob, who he has a little boy now and stuff, you know, you know, think about like, okay, we love playing games. We love, we do this as a family. This is a family night. We get together again. But, you know, what are some games that can teach them some good life skills? Because it's always just blows my mind. And you talk about this all the time when you see successful, intelligent, capable people, but you put down a, a simple board a simple game. board game and it and just, it, just it, it is like they melt apart. Yeah. And we're not trying to be belittling or anything, but it's just, it's. It's just a different way of yeah. thinking. Like I'll introduce, I'll try to in- introduce something just just a little bit above, you know, something like Blue Lagoon, and they will like they'll be some like other people will come to the table and be like, "What are you playing?" And they're like, "I don't know, but we're doing rocket science over here. <laughs> like this is this is incredible." I and- <laughs> listen. La- it was my aunt's birthday last weekend, and so I brought some games over. We had a couple, my parents, my aunt, another aunt there, so five of us, and we're playing. Um, we played. I brought Jamaica out for them. They absolutely adore Jamaica. Jamaica's an oldie but a goodie. It's I a great it family game. Um, but we're playing that, and my dad could just not remember what dice went to the morning or the evening or when to play his card or to hold on to it till it's turn. And he just, he does yeah, that yeah. motion. And like when he just says it out loud, he's like this, I don't know how you're doing this. This is just yeah, way yeah. too much. And my dad's a, a, a smart guy. You know, he's really great with, with practical type things. But when you kind of get in this kind of maybe esoterical kind of space, um, it just, it's more than he wants to put his mind towards. I know. Back when I was a manager at Chick-fil-A, I did do some like hiring for new employees and that sort of thing. And I was, I would always tell my operator, I'm like, Hey, you just give me 10 minutes to play a quick board game with them. And I can tell tell, you, I'm going to tell you how well they work with a team. I'm going to tell you how 
fast of a learner they are. Like I'm stressed so under kind of, pressure. Like, yeah, hey, here's a new challenge. I've never been. Exp- yeah, learning a board game is like, hey, this is a challenge I haven't experienced before. How do I adapt with it? Yeah. Am I eager to adapt? Am I eager to learn? Do yeah. I shy away from the pressure? Do I do I change my personalities or type? Like you've you, and you've you've talked to that to me about that a lot. Yeah. Here's a board game. What what game do you think would be a good option? Or we may say that for another yeah, another list. What would top if ten you, interview games? Top ten interview games. <laughs> maybe that's a, maybe that be a, need to be a smaller segment, but it's right. true. And so, so I've got one bonus one for everybody, and I gotta I gotta just shove this one in here because there. Who knows? If, we might be Brady, experiencing this one a lot more here soon. If you say QE, QE, uh, here we go. You guessed it. This teaches you about. You, you guessed it, inflation, which is something we might be seeing a lot more of here in the United States. I'm about uh, it. I would say bring on the inflation. Are you? Just, you know what happens when inflation comes in? Uh, are all the prices for stuff just goes through the roof? So do it, cryptocurrencies. Uh, oh, yeah, because you've got like 90% of your assets in Dogecoin over there. you got a lot in Ethereum. No, I am not. Did you welcome. liquidate I, your Ethereum holdings? Nope, I'm still holding diamond hands over here. I'm still holding. <laughs> I, I actually my Ethereum. I'm still like positive on the Bitcoin though. I'm pretty much going to be holding that for the rest of my life because it's everything got cut in half. <laughs> it's bad. Um, but anyways, yeah. So um, like inflation and this game is just so fun. It it it's fun for me to just explore new like explore this game a little bit more and i know you think it's just like super simple and dumb but like the last game we played i uh like i think the starting bid for the first one um and i was the last person to be the auctioneer and so i, I was like you know what? i can probably play with this a little bit more and so i think the first person put it down for ten thousand dollars and i put two million like and most people are like gonna put like twelve thousand, maybe fourteen thousand, something like that. I put two million, and then so that so the auctioneer got to see I put two million, but the next person had no idea what I did. So he put down like fifteen thousand. I put down like five million, but then like and then by the time it no came one realized there, what was happening. No one realized what was happening. But then by the end of the game, we were into like two hundred million or something like that. And so my little two million one was like a, a bargain. Deal. Yeah. And so just playing around with that and go and I, the idea that like you know money is only as valuable yeah. as the people say it is. That idea is is so much fun and yeah, I, I love. I feel a lot of the value and fun factor, like you're mentioning right now with QE, only happens when you're playing with people for the first time. Like a lot of these like really cool like, moments and you're telling me is like, and you've told me several times that this happening and stuff, but it's when people are playing for the first time and they're learning an experience and they have an aha moment and okay, we're getting crazy. Well, I, and if you go a little bit further, I disagree with that because I, that game I'd played with a group of friends that had already played before. Um, but also, and a lot of people don't know about this, but like the, the idea, and I see this happen uh, you try to do it every time, but groups will try to do this. I try to um, game it. That, well, they try to do the prisoner's dilemma where they're like, okay, well, if we can just all agree to, you know, not hike the price up, then so-and-so is going to lose. Him, yeah, if he bids $5 million and we refuse to bid anything more than yeah. a couple thousand. And that's just an interesting experiment in general. But no one goes it, along with no it. No one does it. It's the prisoner's dilemma. Like, you cannot... I just need to clone myself. Yeah, you, just, have you a, just can't talk people into doing it because then why? You know, you're all going to lose. And so it's such a fun experiment. I love QE. Um, I think it's a really great concept. Uh, I just wish there maybe was a little more substance to it to add maybe a little more structure to the game. Because I like what you just explained right there, that whole, like, hey, guys, we control value. Yeah. But yet there can only be one winner. 
If you pay the most, you lose. If you pay the least, you lose. So you got to be somewhere in the middle. I think that concept is fantastic because it oh, just allows you to, you you create the game and you get as much out of it as you put into it. I just wish there was a little more structure to go with it. Like, that's a well, great maybe concept. Maybe we need to give it another shot, Matthew. What I just want to be more than a, a party game. I wish it there's something else added on to it that made it well, a little I, more mechanically to, sound. Why don't you be the change you want to see in the world? Let's just create that. I know. All right. Do you have anything else for um, life skill games? Um, I think it's a really good list we put in there. Um, obviously, the, the the categories we picked, you know, we didn't pick a full-on cooperative game. There's a lot of ones you can put in there. I think Captain Sonar was a cooperative game, but it added a little bit of extra in there. Um, but I think those are all really good. Yeah. Um, and I think also problem-solving, a lot of games will have that. Yeah, General, um, I... I, I it was kind of hard for me to do problem solving because so many games yeah. you could put into problem. Uh, I was thinking of like Zulkin, of like the you know the idea. Oh, that's of like really great. Yeah, space planning stuff. Pre planning. Uh, that's almost any euro. You know, to be competitive, it's all about pre planning to know it's all value proposition. What is this thing worth to me right now? And what can it be worth later? Even something like think about like Praga. Um, that. Oh. We didn't get Praga back to the table. Yeah. I've been missing that one. But there's so many great, great games. And just gaming in general, for the same reason that people love Sudoku, Sudoku, or however you want to pronounce it, or crossword puzzles, or word searches, or things like that, it things that engage you. Like my grandmother, she's 86, but she, her mind is still sharp. Like she does yeah. those puzzles every single day. And I think it's just something that stretches you, and it allows you to adapt and be able to react. And um, yeah. I love, like... I'm, I, I don't, you know, profess to be the smartest person in the world, but I enjoy, like, I feel confident, like, if no matter what setting I am, I can jump into a conversation and would be able to hold my own. Like, I enjoy being, ver having very varied interest and knowledge of topics. And I, like, board games can allow you to do that. You can explore all different type of settings and ideas and concepts. If you love historical type games, you can play PAX Viking and learn all about Vikings. Or you could play PAX Premier and learn all about that history with that. Um, so there's just a lot of avenues where board games can help you grow yeah. in your knowledge base and your skills as well. And we just added like a, a new little gamer to the group. But if you, I'm curious if you are like a family or a couple and with like, you know, slightly older children, like in their teens or something, like what games do you play with them to teach them some of these life skills? So if you have some of those, feel free to share. Yeah, and this isn't for parents who are like, hey, we're going to learn our long division but it's a game right flashcards we're talking about fun <laughs> yeah, fun, games. fun games like they right, want to play we're gonna learn about inflation here we go qe <laughs> yeah honestly i'd rather do that than than some of those flash other cards. like flashcards yeah. um yeah so we're gonna get in here this is our last uh podcast for the month of june which is crazy to think about we're about halfway through the year we need to do uh soon kind of a year and rewind a recap of the year um ranking some of our favorite not so game of all times but favorite gaming moments and plays of the year so far. Um, but we've been, this month we've been doing mechanic uh, breakdowns and highlights of mechanics. We really enjoy how they're implemented. Uh, we've done um, asymmetric powers. We've done engine building, I think. Uh, we've done several. I can't even keep track of all the. Um, <laughs> this week we're doing drafting. Drafting, drafting is one of my, is probably, it, it's hard, hard hard to say right now, but drafting is probably my favorite mechanic. Um, and I, I don't know what it is. I was thinking about it a little earlier. I played a lot of poker in college. And so that moment where you, you're drafting cards, whether it's in Blood Rage, um, 
where you pick up that hand of cards and there is drafting and other things, but this is probably the, the first thing you think of that first moment where you're picking up that cards and looking in that hand just gives me like a physical high. Like I get so excited. What do I do? Yeah. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And then it just drafting provides you um, like one, another one of my favorite things in games is tension. I love when things are tense and when I'm like, like waiting for my turn, like begging someone not to take that card or not to take that spot on the board or whatever. Um, it does kind of go into like worker placement. Worker placement is essentially you are drafting actions on the board. So that that is sort of a form of drafting. Um, but yeah, I just, I love where I'm like, oh, please don't take that card. Please don't take that tile or that worker placement spot or whatever. Um, what do you, what, what, what are your big drafting things? Um, so I love drafting when it's part of a whole. Um, same thing with like bidding because um, I think my favorite mechanic is engine building. Um, but I love it when drafting is a part of that. I love when drafting is a part of something like Blood Rage or it's a part of drafting for player abilities or player powers. I don't know that I just like Dominion just straight up drafting the entire time or like Nid of Valir where it's literally just drafting these cards and put it together the entire time. I love drafting when it's part of a whole. Um, and so, like I just mentioned, like we played Concordia uh, the other night and um, there's, with the new expansion, was it, did it come with the salsa? Salsa, yeah. It has like player powers that you can get um, and we were randomly dealt three and picked one <laughs> and there are very, and I think, and it's not saying, I, the more we play it, I'm starting to enjoy it more with Concordia, but there are very clearly more beneficial and more powerful player abilities for the way we play the game, which I feel, you know, playing it more efficiently than others. Yeah. I think Matthew's first fix to any game is we need to draft these like that. Even like we do a variant in wingspan where we draft, you do, of course you draft your starting hand. Yeah. You do a variant and like terraforming Mars. I know it's like an efficient one, but it's like, yeah, the game is just made so much more, I'll even and I'll even bid, bid slash draft or whatever for turn order. Yeah. Um. And the reason why I love drafting um is because, like I said, I would say this with everything. It gives you a choice of assigning value to something. I think yeah. we mentioned all the time the best kind of starting player setup is with Lorenzo Magnifico, the expansion, the Renaissance, uh, where you're drafting player powers. Um, so you're not drafting player powers, but I guess you're bidding for them. Um, but we actually draft which ones are even available uh, yeah, for yeah. us on so, that. Yeah. And so, and I think my favorite drafting in a game would be probably Terraforming Mars. I I, I love the game. I also enjoy the drafting. Also the drafting in Blood Rage. Blood as Rage well. is probably the one that gets me the most yeah. excited. I know. Because of the like consequences I, of not, the consequences of not choosing a card are more prevalent in Blood Rage for something else. A lot of games, you don't pick it, it's just gone. Turn from Mars, you don't pick it. Someone else may, but it's probably going to be gone. Yeah, and there's going to be another In card Blood Rage, you got a good thing. chance someone's picking it. These cards can all be good. Yeah. And it's it, not and only you what you're giving yourself, but you're giving your opponent. I say it all the time, but like the after I pick up, you know, it might be the first hand or the second hand, but almost every time I'll say, oh, my heart or my soul is in agony. And that it's because like I'm like, ah, oh, do I take this card or this card? And that like, Especially in that first round, one the difference between one card can just drastically change like the t- whole trajectory of your strategy, uh, like going into the second or third round. Yeah. Um, so anytime a game has an opportunity to add drafting, you're right. I think I feel like I don't think 
I don't think I think drafting always makes a game. It may, can make maybe a game longer. Maybe could be adding things to it. But I think opportunities are there. I think drafting always makes the game better because same way with bidding or doing things like you know what, if it doesn't work out, I chose that starting setup. Yeah. I chose like even with Zulkin. I mentioned it the other night. It's like normally you're given four like little bonus tiles. You just pick one. I was like, hey guys, let's put these all out here and we just draft them. Um, yeah. And so I just love the. It gives increased player agency. I think is a good way of putting putting it. And you know what? I can't be mad at an unlucky draw. I can't be mad at anything like that. I chose to pick that over that, and maybe it helps someone else and hurt me more. But you know what? That's on me, and I can learn from. It. I can't learn from a poor draw of a card. Like I enjoy challenges that I like. If I fail, I want what can I learn from it? Yeah, Versus yeah. if I just draw this or roll this die, I can't become a better die roller. I'm sorry, people who say they have the the heart of the die or heart of the card in their mind, they're delusional. <laughs> you can't roll that die any better um, unless you're David Blaine or something like that, and he's literally spent his entire life manipulating dice. I can't get better with that, but I can get better at drafting. I can get yeah. better at making those choices, and so that's why I love it. I can get better you're at master bidding. of your own destiny. That is fantastic. Wow. Thank you for thank you for putting the little <laughs> ribbon on there. Yeah, so all that's right. drafting. Um, it's a very popular mechanic. Clearly, there's entire games. That's all they are um, with that. All right. So I'm just going to, before we close out, I'm going to give a quick shout out to something that I've been trying to hype up. I've been trying to get Matthew on the hype train. Um, and this is slightly board game adjacent, but I've been really enjoying this app. It's been out for a while called Sorcery. It's actually designed... Uh, I guess in part, or maybe the whole thing by Steve Jackson, which he's the designer of a decent amount of board games. Um, And it's just, it's called sorcery. It's like this little RPG um, choose your own adventure thing. Uh, It's really well done. I cannot imagine how much like work went into this. And I know you and I were both big fans of uh, like Detroit becoming human on uh, like on on Xbox or whatever. Place, yeah, PlayStation. PlayStation. Um, and it, it is just like that. Like I, I wish this app kind of showed you because in Detroit, every time you finish a chapter, you got you get to see like your branching tree, past and yeah, what could have been. What, what could have been. Also, it's really cool because it shows you the percentage of players who chose this decision and got that yeah, outcome. Yeah, there's a lot of stats. So in this, it doesn't quite show you all that, but it easily could have. Like I mean, I can visualize because there's so many branching paths in this game and what you can do. Um, and I've I've been really enjoying playing it. It's like set in this really cool fantasy universe. It's uh, you well, know, similar you know to what, something Brady? like uh, Dungeons and Dragons. I, I, don't, I can't remember if I still have this or I sold it just because I didn't get to the table because we weren't into that stuff. But if you enjoy that and maybe want to get a and d feel of a game that's that's but a lot more structured but has that decision-making aspect that's that's got a good story that people really enjoy, Legacy of Dragonholt. Are you is familiar that, with that at all? Is that a D&D game? Like a specific? No, it is not. So the concept is you choose, you create a character. Like it has aspects of D&D. It has aspects of choose your own adventure, but in a more structured mechanic. Um, there's no board out. Um, everyone has their player sheet. You create your character. You choose a class. You choose a race. You choose abilities using, you get so many ability points. You get to custom create your player's ability points. And stats, um, but you op- you're going on an adventure with your friends. You open up a book, you read a segment, and then you all have to make a decision. Based on the decision you make, you go to the next segment. Yeah. Based on that decision, you go to the next segment, and then there's but there's different there's different like quests or journeys. But then there's there's like this central town. I imagine like Gloomhaven. There's like a town book. You 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 go into the town, you read it, you choose. Hey, let's go to the tavern or let's go to this place. And it's essentially that, but. It, 
obviously it's got to be in book form. It's not digital, but, but it actually has a player sheet where you have a customizable character that you create, you interact, you can gain items and loot and stuff like that. Yeah. You're going on a, you got essentially, I think the game starts, you got a letter from this person that they're needing help and you start going on this adventure, but there's like a whole bunch of books, um, of different adventures. I think that may be yeah. fun to, if you I enjoy like, that, but want to play with other people. Yeah. I do like the, the fact that this is digital, that just makes it, it, it you the, can take it on the go. Yeah. And it's a very beautiful game. The artwork yeah. is very, but you good. can play this legacy of dragon hole solo. If you want to, yeah. um, definitely take a look at it. I owned it. I don't know if I sold it just cause I never got it to the table, but it was just really intriguing. Kind of a, a storytelling choose your own adventure game, but it had that kind of leveling aspect of your character. And, and I, I can't remember exactly how combat could work in it, but like your ability yeah. to do certain actions in the game or your ability to make certain choices like in D&D was based on does your character have this level of a stat because you get to choose how you create your characters or level up your character and so you may have certain things that are locked off to you to actually make that decision because you haven't leveled up your character or created yeah, yeah. a character that's that can do specific yeah, so stuff. So this is something I've been kind of doing. I I I got back into it on my road trip down to Florida and back up. Um, but it's in like a four part series. Um, I, you have to buy each app individually. Um, or I think you might be able to buy a, like a combo package now. Yeah. Um, but it's super fun yeah. and you need to get on it soon. Yeah. Matthew. Well, this is a great topic, Brady. The entire time we were talking about these games, obviously you can't see me cause I'm on the podcast. But I was just smiling talking about these games yeah. cause they range from party games to super heavy games. But they all gave me that smile. I was like, you know what? These are great. These are, I think every game we mentioned are great games, um, great experiences of not just for teaching, but obviously to play. Um, and so they're absolute recommends. Well, I think that's going to be it for this week's episode. As always, I'm Matthew. I'm Brady. And this has been the, the discussion, discussion phase. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the discussion phase. If you enjoyed our content and like to hear more, make sure to tune back every week for new episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram at the discussion phase for reviews, posts of plays and what we've got recently in the mail. Uh, you can also get in on the discussion at the discussion phase at gmail.com. Thanks everybody.